0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. I have to tell you, this may be the most important segment that I've done in a long time because I'm going to explain to you right now, in less than 10 minutes, what you need to know about how we are watching the acceleration of this country, this nation, into a very dangerous zone and it's not the one it's not the one over racism the stupidity of the racism claim it's not even the wokeness stuff it's not any of that stuff that's all bad culturally it's all terrible that we have leaders like joe biden who say the white supremacy is the great threat it's horrendous that we have uh the media big media willing to back up these great hoaxes whether the charlottesville find people hoax or the drinking bleach hoax or any of the hoaxes. That's not what I want to tell you about today. I want to point you in a direction of something that strikes at the very heart of the American nation, and that is the rule of law and the acceleration of what is called lawfare, the use of the law as a tool of warfare or battling and in the political context more broadly. So you can see examples around you uh, periodically you know and you could you can say oh look back in the day al capone was targeted by the irs because they couldn't get him on all the other crimes he was doing but they got him on something he really did well that doesn't sound too bad right we al capone was a bad dude he was doing bad things flash forward to the obama administration and the irs department under lois Lerner was being used to target tea party groups so that's What is that progress under the liberal agenda, under the the left agenda, under the communist agenda? The progress is moving from targeting someone who's a bad guy, Al Capone, for something he actually did to targeting Tea Party groups because you don't like their positions. Doesn't seem like progress, seems like something much worse. But what you need to know is lawfare as a term and as a tool has accelerated now to the point where. It is a threat to the republic. Why? Well, because in America, our system from the very beginning of the founding, we didn't have an aristocracy formally. There were some families that were well respected, although they became they were families of sort of of the fight, you know, the Adams, uh, you know, uh, John Quincy, Adams, John Adams, Jefferson, Washington, others. And and there were uh, 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 trading classes, people that became successful. But we didn't have a monarchy and we didn't have a class system the same way in other parts of the world. What we had was the rule of law and property rights, and rights for individuals that protected us. And all these years later, a couple hundred years later, the property rights in the law, patents, for example, ownership, for example, limited taxation. At the time, the founders wanted very little taxation, but limited taxation because it's a kind of taking. And the other protections, they were knitted into the American nation that said, we're going to have the rule of law, and everyone will be Equal under the law. And of course, we had to improve. We passed laws that got rid of slavery. We passed laws that gave women the right to vote. We passed laws that uh, protected people that were targeted. All that's true. But from the beginning, the core of the American nation was so brilliant, so perfect, so divinely inspired equal justice under the law. All the way forward to today. And we're watching extraordinary unequal justice. If you've watched any of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in uh, up in uh, Wisconsin, he's been targeted because they don't like him. He opposed. He's only 17 or 18 years old, but he opposed the leftist insanity by doing what? By running towards the fight. He was worried about the health of people and the safety of people. And when he was threatened with guns aimed at him, he fought back. But he was I don't know if you knew this. He's trained as a medic. He actually was saying he was going to go help people. But think about what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse, because the other guy that looked like Kyle Rittenhouse was Nick Sandman and Nick Sandman was targeted, they said, for smirking and mocking at the uh, Native American. And within hours, Nick Sandman's life was destroyed, they thought, because they said he was a bigot and a smug MAGA hat wearing guy. Now, the only good news for Nick Sandman, besides the fact that he got hundreds of millions of dollars, I think, in settlements, was that he wasn't targeted by the, 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 uh, the law enforcement. They didn't have a reason to do that. I guess if he pushed the Native American, he might have been on trial for assault or battery, I guess it would be. But Rittenhouse, he gets charged and he's going through a homicide trial. So think about Sandman and think about Rittenhouse and think about the difference. One got lucky, I hate to say it. The other one is getting railroaded. Now he may get off, but his life is tortured. His life is 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 dramatically transformed. You could say Rittenhouse is going to have a claim against people that said he was a killer and all that, and maybe he'll get a lot of money. Don't, don't get his life back. He's 17, 18. Another example, of course, is General Flynn. They used the law, Farah, and other things to try to tie him up. They used the power of the FBI to try to get him to believe he lied. They used the law against him because why? Because Joe Biden sat in the White House as vice president and said, Hey, maybe we should try the Logan Act on him. Think about what the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. We now know that the Russia hoax was paid for by the Clinton campaign, engineered by a left wing, uh, an employee, at least a former employee, multiple years of a left wing think tank who was born in Russia. So is he a Russian agent or not? I don't know. But he and he was working with a British spy. And Clinton paid for it. And that would be bad enough. Political hits are bad enough. Except what did they do? They took lawfare and they weaponized the FBI, the FISA courts, the Mueller investigation. And they targeted we, the people. And, and you know, if you just step, step back and say, huh, Hillary looks like she had something going on at the foundation. Nothing happened. She didn't email. She didn't. She deleted her. She wiped clean her emails. Nothing happened. You could get it pretty quick, pretty quickly. The country looks up and says, it's not equal justice. It's unequal justice, but it's worse than that because the targeting they're using the power of the law and law enforcement against the people in such a way that the culture, the nation is being forced to believe it. And the best two examples are the Russia hoax, which now has been shown to be completely a political trick. By the Clinton campaign. And yet is it being covered that way? Barely. It's a political trick that almost destroyed it. It actually, the Russia hoax is a Clinton coup. It's an Obama coup. It's an It's an Obama coup. It's the Obama coup. His third term with Biden is an Obama coup. That's what they did to the Trump administration, but not by arguing that you did it by using the law. Lawfare and the same thing is happening with January 6th more subpoenas of people who supposedly were I don't know involved in something like a rally on January 6th and all of it and I'm now in the middle of it by the way I can't tell you all the reasons why but I'm in the middle it has nothing to do with me it has to do with my law degree my my uh, ability to practice law I'm seeing what's going on it's a total fraud. We have lawfare. People are sitting in jails in solitary confinement for nonviolent crimes for what could be misdemeanors. Maybe maybe not even that. And they're just blithely plugging along the Department of Justice. The lawfare is waging. And if it continues, it's not that someday there'll be totalitarianism and fascism. It's here. It's here when the legal system is being used against we, the people, what you need to know is we're not losing a battle. We're being overrun in lawfare. Joe Biden is off in Glasgow promising to give $100 billion. I think, I think this is right. $100 billion doesn't sound like that much when he's got a, 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 a trillion dollars coming in so-called infrastructure. Turns out there's billions that are just money that's going to be given out by Pete Buttigieg wherever he thinks there was racist bridges. But be that as it may, Biden is over in Glasgow promising $100 billion to help Africa get green. Man alive, we got plenty of things in this country here in this soil that need to get better. Before we can pay for Africa to get green. It's unbelievable. And meanwhile, the front page of Politico and the New York Times is yet another allegation. This time it's the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act is supposed to tell people not to be political when they're appointed to jobs. And so there's like 13 members of the White House staff under Trump that may have been uh, uh, unduly political. Give me a break. I mean, at this point, they understand what the Obama administration did. Clinton, I'm not excusing any of it. I just have always thought these rules that say, don't be too political when you your guys running for reelection. That's what happens. But here's the reality. When the people in the country see what's happening as they are they get more and more concerned. There's only two choices. One choice is to realize um, they're too powerful. I think I'll step back. Uh, They're too powerful. I I think I'll inform. I I think I'd rather call up and say, hey, did you know this or that? I don't know. Maybe I could tell you this or that about that so and so. Or people can get fed up and dramatically ask for a transformation of the country back to what we, we expected. Equal justice, a system that works. It's not perfect, but it works better than anywhere in the world. And the problem is when the goodies and the money And the power is in the hands of the government that's willing to use it like this. It gets a lot easier to say, I'll just go along than it does to say, I'll stand up. That's the reality we're facing with this lawfare. And that's what you need to know. All right, everybody, we got to take a break. When we come back, please visit, by the way, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to listen to this segment again, to sign up for the daily link, excuse me, daily wink, what you need to know and a lot more there. We will uh, come back in a few moments. We've got some great guests, including, I believe, we're going to get a segment of Noah Says. It's been a while. Catch up with Noah Dingley, our great producer. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here on a Pro America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. I was sent in the mail a beautiful book. I'm holding it in my hands. It's a it's a uh, a larger a large. I don't know what the size would be. Um, uh, maybe 12 inches by 18 inches, and it's called 21 Steps. Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, produced by uh, Candlewick Press, published by Candlewick Press. It's an extraordinary text about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it's illustrated wonderfully. And the author is with us, Jeff Gottesfeld. He wrote it, and it's illustrated by a man named Matt Tavares. So, sir, first of all, welcome. Congratulations on the book. It's perfectly timed, as, as we talked about off the air for this time of year with Veterans Day. But congratulations. It's really wonderful.
2: Thank you so much. If you had told me when I was 20 that I would one day write a picture book for children about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier... I would have I would have suggested psychological treatment, but here I
1: am. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for good for you. Well, and that, let me ask you that. I mean, is your how'd you end up here? Did you are you someone who uh, I know that you're an author? You've done other things um, for all different kinds of of things. I also I think I read you're from L.A. How did this pop into your world as something you wanted to write about and create? Well, some
2: of it was a, a sort of a, a philosophical switch. I mean, when I was twenty. I like to write, but, you know, my, my my standpoint and attitude during the Vietnam War era about the United States yeah. military and United States institutions, it was skeptical at best. But, mm. you know, I grew up and I lived yeah. around America and I traveled and I met people from everywhere and I lived in Europe for a while and met people who had, you know, lived behind the Iron Curtain when it was there or who were doing everything they could to get out of you know, to get out of China, uh, to come here and I and I came to believe that and this is true that the United States military is an incredible force for good on the planet. It has hmm. been and with that stance it was possible for me to have a moment of revelation on memorial day in 2016 in the los angeles national cemetery looking at a headstone there that said unknown that i didn't know anything about the tomb really and i was i had been an american studies major in college i didn't know who was buried there when it was consecrated um when the other unknowns came uh, what it was all about and certainly knew nothing about the tomb guards who are you hmm. know, men and women from all walks of life, who are devoted
1: to perfection in honor of the unknowns. We're, again, we're talking with uh, Jeff Gottesfeld. His a new book is called 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It's really cool because I, and I like about it. Actually, I think the title is kind of good, but in a way, um, what you talk about in here is who are the unknowns, you know, and, and meaning where they come from? How did it come about? And if you've been here, and you know, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, but I now live mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia. And so about a year and a half ago, I took my whole family and we went to Arlington Cemetery and we, were gonna, we went on a tour with a retired military man and he walked us around the place and he said, I'm going to bring you over here and he said, I'm going to show you this. And we got to Tomb. I'd been to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier years ago, but he's an army guy. And he said, now, the guys that guard this, the guys that do this, this is a year and two years ago. He said, these are spectacular men and women. And it's a really prestigious detail. It's, you know, it's an assignment. And in fact, um, so I learned all about it. And then I see this book. It's extraordinary. So, um, but now, wh- what is it that you think the American people, readers, need? Why do they need this book? When you write something, you're writing for someone. Why do they need it? Do you, is it because you want to get them moving from where you felt you were? Like, hey, I'm not. I'm a little indifferent now. I appreciate it. Is it perf- Is it now we need it more than ever? What? Tell me about that sort of sense of this.
2: I'm so impressed by the tomb guards with their willingness to self-efface and give up uh-huh. their identities as individuals for a time in selfless service for something larger. And I feel like our country has moved away from that. When we think about our veterans on this Veterans Day, all of Mm -hmm. them, them serving now, those who served before, some who made the ultimate sacrifice, um, did it out of a sense of selflessness. And I am... Look, I'm the first person to embrace the sort of values of of much of children's literature today. Tolerance and kindness and compassion are crucial, but they're not the only values and values Mm -hmm. like like honor and devotion and appreciation and gratitude and discipline and focus and reverence are also important. That's what my book. Uh, Again, we're for kids. Yeah, we're
1: again. We're talking with Jeff Gottesfeld, who wrote this book, 21 Steps, and really created this book, uh, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, illustrated by Matt Tavares. Um, in the middle of the book, when you sort of shift from talking about the tomb, which is powerful enough, about who is the, who are these people that were unknown? You know, it's almost impossible for young people, I think, to realize that there were people that died in World War One. We never knew who they were. We never will. And and now people say, well, just check their smartphone, you know, check their last location or whatever. And so it's really, it's it, that part of it's important. But then you shift over to these men and women. that guard the thing the sentinel guards and you go through because because it's kind of this combination of discipline and showmanship but as you point out it's kind of lonely for every one of these times where there's a hundred people watching you're going to do this in the rain in the snow and you got to go out and and they and they do it over and over again and they all live together right they live together in this community right well,
2: think about this. During the COVID time when Arlington was closed, there were no yeah. visitors to the tomb, and yet the tomb guards were out there. Um they serve <laughs> wow. in three, they serve in three reliefs of six soldiers each. They are 27 uh-huh. hours on and then off for 2 days. So when they are off, they are away from the tomb like any other soldier would be. During their time on, and I've been in the tomb guard quarters, they are there. They are focused. They are eating, sleeping, practicing, shining their shoes, getting ready, and critiquing each other's performances on the mat. Um, this <laughs> wow. is the center of their world.
1: Uh, so that, that's interesting to me. You got you got you got permission to go inside and kind of how that how does that work out? Because I imagine a lot of people want to know something. How, did you have to apply for that and kind of run through a gauntlet to be able to do that? When did that happen? <laughs>
2: Good to write a book about it. No, to be no. Matt Matt, Matt Tavares, the artist, um, was able uh-huh. to visit while he was preparing his artwork, and it was super I helpful see. to to him. Uh, um, for me, right. I didn't get to enter the Tomb Guard quarters until this past summer, after the book was oh. done, when I made a presentation there to uh, to a, a number of guards, including including one, um, the sergeant of the guard Chelsea Porterfield, who's doing a program with me tomorrow um, at the wow. National Archives at eleven a.m. Eastern, wow. which is going to be live streamed to to school. Oh, great! Um, so, oh, wow! That's yeah, that's exciting. It is. It's really it was a great development for me, and and it, meaningful in that you know this book remarkably is being embraced left right and center there's always yeah. you know we're a big country there's always going to be elements yeah. um who are who are <laughs> fringe in either way you know my when you have yeah. 330 million people it gets really flaky at the edges however yeah the vast majority they're with us on this
1: yeah by the way, at the beginning of the book, uh, I should say there's the Sentinels Creed, which I won't read except to tell people to. Uh, in the opening. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted, and it goes on. It's extraordinary. Um, by the way, I also was the image and Tell Mr. Tavares. It's a great one. Later in the book, you've, you're, you've now talked about the uh, Sentinels and all. and Then he's got a snowy picture, depiction of the tomb and the, and the inscription on the tomb, which is, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. It's wonderful. And the image of it in person is extraordinary. Um, so I got to ask you this. Do you know, I know one really famous, well, not famous, but a four-star general who was uh, one of the uh, Sentinel officers, or maybe maybe as a kid right out of school, are, are the Sentinels officers or are they, the Sentinels are enlisted and the officer that runs it, there's an officer that runs it, right? Is that right? Well, they are all, they are all enlisted um, and okay.
2: the sergeant of the guard, I believe, is was is non commissioned. Uh, this is not okay. my area of, of expertise, but because
1: okay. Chelsea, I know, was, serge- was sergeant first class. Everyone, well, in I'll tell- is yeah. enlisted. So, so- so I'll tell you this one, which will make right, left and center, some on the left and center maybe uh, be interested, but, uh, but on the right, they'll be excited. Uh, the guy that I walked around Arlington Cemetery with was General Flynn, General Mike Flynn, who's a friend. But the big reason mm-hmm. that he knew so much about it is his brother, who is Charlie Flynn, who's a four-star general in, in, the, in Asia now. He's in charge of all the American troops. He, his first assignment out of school, he went to URI and was in uh, ROTC, was to be assigned to the, um, maybe he did one short billet somewhere else. And then he was there for like two and a half years and he still says, I remember General Flynn, Mike Flynn saying to me, his brother still says it was one of the, it was the, one of the best assignments he ever had. Just the, the honor, the power of it. And that's, um, and he talks about it all the time. In fact, I, I'm going to send this copy of the book over to the, to those guys. Cause they, it was such a meaningful thing. And for army guys, you probably know this and gals. It's very, very well military in general, but very powerful to have to, to to for them. It's a kind of anchor. Arlington is an anchor in a way itself, but the tomb is especially.
2: It is, and and it's it's nearly impossible to become a tomb guard. The testing yeah. that you must t- succeed at <laughs> to do it, and yeah. the ways you can get bounced out along that testing. I mean, there have only been. You know, I think there have been less than 700 tomb guards since the guard was inaugurated, and lest we pat ourselves on our back too much, the guard was inaugurated yeah. because not long after the tomb was consecrated, people used to go up there and picnic because the view was beautiful. <laughs> and and, and wow. no, and we and that and we we had even you know beauty and and honor and reverence needed to be restored to the place. So, you know, it's the same thing all over again.
1: (laughs) It's not, this isn't the same, this isn't the same, but it is, uh, you reminded me of the criteria Um, and we're talking again and I've got to wrap it up, Jeff. Jeff Gottesfeld is the author, 21 Steps, illustrated by Matt Tavares, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and available anywhere books are sold too. But I was just thinking, by the way, uh, the the Swiss Guard at the Vatican, they have a similar thing. You can only get in if you're a certain height, you know, all these kinds of rules and it's very elite thing to be and they they just basically march and i don't know guard the bronze door in in the vatican somewhere or something but uh anyway so that's just was a thinking of you there the book is perfect especially for veterans day but also for people that appreciate the military as you said somehow it's transcending right or left it's just hey this is us and that's really cool so congratulations again
2: thank you so much it was an honor to write it and to be with you
1: All right, Jeff Gottesfeld, the author again of 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, his illustrator, Matt Tavares, also extraordinary work. And again, Chad, excuse me, Candlewick Press. I might have misstated that earlier. Candlewick Press. All right, everybody, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report, back in a moment. (laughs) Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. It's been far too long. He had a period of mourning after the Dodgers uh, did not win the World Series. Actually, uh, it was uh, more than uh, – I, I, you were too upset. But Noah Dingley is back now with our segment Noah Says What the People Want. And uh, first of all, do you want to recap on the baseball season or you just want to move on?
3: No, let's recap. The Dodgers, uh, I don't care what anybody tells me, they were plagued by a lot of injuries. And even during the postseason, they lost Justin Turner. That was not a good thing. And they lost Max Muncie. So am I making excuses? Well, maybe a little bit. But I think had they been at full strength, they definitely would have gone a little bit further. But hey, the Houston Astros did not win. That's all that matters to me with all of their shenanigans. So, you know, God bless the Atlanta. Braves for going well all the way.
1: Uh, but let me ask. You, let me ask you a different question about this, though, because when a season ends, like the the St. Louis Cardinals, my team, they had five Gold Glovers, by the way, five, amazing, and uh, and they had, but they let they had to let a couple guys go. They they let go uh, Carlos Martinez, who had been kind of uh, a soon to be star for about a decade, and then um, they had. Uh, Oh man, the, the gosh isn't that Carpenter? Is that his name? The, the uh, yeah, sh- one of our good. great Love infielders. And, and they let him go. No, they let him go. They let him. He had he had kind of. He actually, I hate to say this to you, he looked a little bit like Bellinger. Suddenly, after years of just being a great player, legitimately, he suddenly couldn't hit, and he, so they released him. They didn't take it's next. So what I want to ask you about is the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw. Does not get uh, a qualifying offer, which is the way to make sure that the um, Dodgers would get to keep him. if they someone else grabbed him, matched an offer or made a better offer, they'd get a, a draft pick. So uh, is this a, are the dodgers about to move on? Some of the old guard are going to go get moved out?
3: I would hope not because I always say never, you know, did they fall short last year? They did. Uh, Some of it due to injury, as I said. However, they had a really rock solid staff just top to bottom last year and. I think that they really shouldn't move around too many pieces, Ed. What I would do... Now, let's be honest. Kershaw is entering the latter phases of his career. Doesn't once had what he had. Still a really good dominating pitcher. Has had some injuries the last couple of years. The Dodgers, the one area... That they have not really improved upon that I think would have got them all the way through the World Series, even with a couple of the injuries, was their bullpen is not as solid as it should be. So here's what I do with Kershaw, to be quite honest. I would say, you know what? We need to pick up Kershaw, pick him up, move him to the bullpen, make him your solid wow, relief really? middleman. That's going to get him along Really? Way.
1: I don't know. Does he want to do that? He's still a big time. No, I, mean, I don't know if Kershaw would see. do that
3: or not. Now, he is a very big team player. He, you know, he, yeah. he, he knows he's good, but he also wants what's best for the team. I think he would do it. You really have to look at it. My son and I have said it for the last five, six seasons. If the Dodgers had a better bullpen, they'd win, they'd win more games. And, again, they fell yeah. short this year.
1: By the way, let me just be a little bit more respectful of those guys I'm on the Cardinals. Carlos Martinez and Matt Carpenter, both key players for a long, many years. And uh, Carpenter was an all-star, so I think, three or four times, got MVP votes. I mean, he's a legit, uh, really valuable player. Martinez had some ups and downs. but All right, so baseball is gone. Now, let me get an update. I know that your significant other, uh, who shall remain nameless, has children School age. So let's talk about what are you hearing on the COVID stuff and on schools and back to school. What's the what's the scuttlebutt coming out of uh, folks right now?
3: Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me, Ed, because there's you know this this huge push for kids to get the vaccine or to be safe at school. When for the most part, you know, and again, it's not nothing is hundred percent, but it's very frustrating. You know, talking to uh, and observing, you know, different parents and sending their kids to school, because for the most part, kids are not susceptible to the covid. I mean, again, there's always a chance and that they're, they're also very uh, much not likely to pass it on, even if they do get it, because they're going to be asymptomatic. So these vaccine requirements, I mean, the mask thing, I, I, I almost get, even though I'm not on board with it. But, you know, you want to do a little bit of protection with your you know, with, with minor children Uh, And you want to mix, mix, excuse me, masks in on there. I can even see that in certain situations. But vaccines, and I'm not the only one that thinks this. A lot of parents think this as well. Uh, For kids, it's not the right way to go.
1: Uh, we're talking again with uh, Noah Dingley, the producer of the program, and uh, and Noah says, "Is the segment of course okay?" Uh, now you watched closely because we talked a lot about it. Uh, what happened in Virginia? You have watched for you know years and years, decades. Uh, politics. What's your feeling right now on where we are in terms of what's coming? Uh, I mean, obviously, if, you know, eight weeks ago, California didn't have much of a change, right? There was uh, the numbers for the recall were pretty standard. You know, Democrats two to one. What are you feeling right now?
3: couple of different fronts first let's talk election integrity ed i have heard a lot of people say election integrity is fine we won in virginia no you can't get complacent about that we won in virginia because you had enough parents that on both sides of the aisle republicans and democrats and independents that were so ticked off that they were going after their kids with a lot of these uh you know crt uh things in the classroom and also parents don't have the right to um Uh, you know, speak out about what is being taught in the public school system for their children. The parents said, no more. We're not doing this. So we had a huge turnout to be able to win the governorship of Virginia. Virginia. But you can't say that fixes the problem. We have to have election reform across the board, across the country, if we're actually going to have legitimately done elections. And it, it, It's actually a good thing. One thing that I really don't understand what happened, and give me your thoughts on this, it was a big win yeah. for Republicans. You know, d- despite everything that was going on, we finally had, a, I think, the biggest win that we've had in quite some time. And then what are the Republicans... In Congress, do huh. they say let's uh-huh. give Biden the infrastructure bill? That for me was the biggest slap in the face that could have possibly been done by these rhinos, and I would never vote for any of them if it were up to me.
1: Well, and I look, I think that first of all, um, the frustration of uh, the conservatives, I'd say, or the you know the the um, patriot uh, group, uh, you call them MAGA or just call them patriots whatever, at that conduct is uh, is you know real um, now what's interesting about Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, you look at the numbers, MAGA voters turned out in, say, rural counties. Uh, uh, Youngkin, the, now the, the governor-elect, he, he got better performance in some of the counties than Trump did. Um, he did better in some of the collar counties uh, than than Trump had done. Obviously he did better with moms and all this kind of stuff. But what, what I thought, the lesson, and so when the when the swamp goes and votes for that, 13 Republicans vote for it, there had already been 19 Republicans in the Senate that voted for it. You're right. The P- Patriot voters look up and they're like, what? You just won. Why are you doing that? that but that's just because people don't realize the swamp is the swamp it, it, it's not changing in fact one of my great fears is that right now there was an article yesterday in politico that the uh, big um lobbyist class and the biggest lobbyists some of whom had stopped giving to republicans after january 6th there was a dramatic we won't give to them they they participated in uh, in this insurrection they voted against it they all said uh we're giving to republicans now because they know it, it, uh, everything going the way it's going, it's going to be Republicans in charge, so they're buying the real estate. They bu- they know what they're buying. They know the cost. So you're seeing tens of millions of dollars. There was an event, uh, I think it was um, Monday night, down in Tampa. In fact, Donald Trump was the speaker at the National Republican Congressional Committee, raising tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're going to come in and buy this thing. The question is, do the people in power, Speaker of the House whomever, realize what time it is? Because... If they go into office, say, let's say the Republicans win the House and they have a Republican majority, they're not going to get anything passed because of Biden. But if they go in and say Mitch McConnell runs the Senate now and they cut deals with Biden, the American people will do a pox on both their houses. The only thing that will make the Democrats look good is if the Republicans decide to become like them, which they will be tempted to do. Because they'll have people that come in and say, oh, you know what we'll do is we'll just do a massive spending bill. We'll give you a tax cut on this little thing, but we'll raise this, this, and we'll do more immigration and more green cards and more this and more that. American people will be like, we're sick of this. That's uh, that's my worry. I uh, So... I think you're on the right track about
3: what to be concerned about. I think they're already sick of it, Ed, because, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people. And I've been very vocal about it. Andrea Kay has been very vocal about it, that we, we know it's not a viable option. But if we could, I would go third party. I am so disgusted with the Republican Party as a whole. And you can literally count on one hand the Republicans that stand up for the conservative movement each and every time. And that's not going to be enough to get it done. And that's where I hear other people saying, I do it myself as well. I will not donate a dime, a penny, to the Republican Party. I will donate to individual candidates, those that actually make a difference in our movement, what we need for America, but never to the Republican Party ever again. You said something with your last response, and I want to get a feel for if you think it's actually legitimate, because at this point of the game, I really think to get back the reins of Congress, even though we don't have a majority in the house it would really be the way to go how likely is it and what do we have to do to let former president trump know that he would make an excellent speaker of the house and can it actually be done <laughs>
1: oh you're you're singing my song i mean i tried it out as you know in mark meadows last week i i don't know i mean i think whatever it is the agenda has to come from uh, president trump it has to make clear that this is what he wants to see happen i i don't know I, it's my biggest worry my biggest worry is that uh, we end up with majorities, and the majorities are they think it's um like Paul Ryan was, and they oh, think it's no, like uh, no, John no. Boehner was, and and I think you know that would lose the uh, that would lose the base. But we will have to come back to that. We have got to come back to that. We're we're in too long. We got to, We got to go. It's uh, Noah says goes on. The time flies. We will be. We'll have him back on again. I know. as Soon as I have him on, he engineers four or five of his friends and uh, people to send me emails saying have him back on. So we'll figure it out. No, they're all uh, but me. We run. all
3: the emails are from me.
1: <laughs> you got all those fictitious email That's addresses. Right. All right. Uh, all right, we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center
1: Studios, Ed Martin. In 2007, our American troops began collecting biometric data about residents of Afghanistan. Mobile technology, including the Biometric Automated Toolset, and the handheld interagency identity detection equipment were used to identify our known allies and enemies in the region. These tools include a fingerprint reader, iris scanner, and camera in order to build facial and fingerprint watch lists. Now, placement on a watch list in the United States could result in being kept off an airplane, which is inconvenient. But inclusion in these watch lists in Afghanistan could result in death. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki gave an unpersuasive denial of a report by the left-leaning news website Politico that the Biden administration had given the names of attempted evacuees to the Taliban. Psaki said, first, let me say there have been reports that we provided lists of people who want to leave Afghanistan to the Taliban. That's inaccurate. That's misreported and misconstrued. But Biden himself admitted that he did know enough about such a list to respond to questions about it. He declared that he could not state with any certitude that there's actually been a list of names. In other words, Biden has no idea whether such a list has been given to the enemy. The ignorance of Biden's national security team could have fatal consequences. The biometric database, now presumably in the hands of the Taliban, is now a deadly kill list. It potentially provides the Taliban with photos and fingerprints of Afghanis who supported or assisted American soldiers, and those Afghanis now face deadly reprisal. Our nation needs competent national security leaders. For our troops, our allies, and our citizens abroad, the incompetence of President Biden and his national security team is far more than a headline on the evening news. The lives of millions depend upon the ability of our leaders to look past the broken discourse of the mainstream media and make smart military decisions. As Americans look ahead to the next round of national elections, Remember that your vote is more than just a vote for Team Red or Team Blue. Your vote has a life-changing global impact.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability. Never hesitating to say America first. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly
2: Report.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hey, let me wrap things up. I just got a minute. I got a couple minutes here. Let me wrap things up by running through a few things. I got some uh, comments for everybody. So let me do this. Um, first of all, I, I tell you all the time, if you go to ProAmericaReport.com, click in through there and sign up for the daily email, the Wink. It comes in Monday through Friday. And if you get that email... 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific. I, I don't, we don't charge anything. There's no nothing. We don't rent your email address. Nothing. Uh, we just send you some links and some key stories, and it's really valuable. People say, and. When you get it, if you hit reply, it goes right to me. So a lot of times in the morning, I, that will go out at eight a.m. East Coast time, and by eight thirty East Coast time, I'll have ten replies from people saying, "Hey, I thought, what about this? Did you see that? How about this?" So if you want to be in touch with me, <clears throat> excuse me, sign up for the Wink, and you get that right. You can reply, and it goes right to me, or you can email me directly, Ed at uh, excuse me, ed edmartinlive dot com. dot ed com is one. Also on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, on uh, Facebook Ed Martin Live through all those places, you can get in touch with me on Parlor at Ed Martin, on Gab at Ed Martin, uh, all those places, any of those places. It funnels to me. Um, I sometimes don't look at the messages on, say, Twitter because the direct messages are open. I don't look at them every day. Uh, I do look at them every day. I don't look at them a lot during the day. So probably once or twice a day, like in the morning when I get up or uh, late at night. Um, so anyway, go through those places. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. And listen, get these great interviews we're doing. We did some great ones today and share them with other people because people really it really helps us to spread the word on what we're doing so that would be great we would appreciate it thank you as always for our great producer noah dingley this time he had a noah says segment which is always fun it's fun for me and him to do a segment on the show because we talk like that off the air all the time and it's oftentimes our conversation i, I wish we'd done it on the air because it's really good and he's a great guy uh, also thank you to joanna spilger from our st louis office for booking our guests and you for listening we will be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then